Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, Field Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And uh, today's co-host is um, George Bell. What's up, George? Hello, everybody. (sighs) George, it's Christmas, and uh, you just had a baby. I did, uh, December 23rd. Um, Yeah, it was pretty cool. We were supposed to, well, we... I was there. Um, Sarah was supposed to get induced on tomorrow, actually Friday and baby decided to come on the 23rd. Logan just messed up everybody's plans for Christmas. He did. He it's did. awesome though. Cause he gets the double dip. He gets, yep. he gets the 23rd Yep. and then he gets uh Christmas Eve, which I'm sure we we'll get a present. Yeah. And everyone then gets Christmas. a present. Yeah. On Christmas Dude, Eve. He gets loaded. Yeah. So, uh, loaded. It was a great Christmas present we got and it was no complications. Um, I'll tell you what, the Yavapai Regional Hospital in Prescott Valley, the staff there. Why are you breathing so hard, Doc? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to be keto. You lost like 10 pounds. I feel good. Uh, I did cheat a little bit over the holidays, but, you know, that's. So what was your cheat? Let's talk about your cheat. Oh, my cheat, I had had blackberry pie with Mm. whipped cream. Yeah, yeah. Tell Um, me more. I made uh, this uh, whipped sweet potatoes. Mm Mm-hmm. With um, marshmallows infused inside of it, so Ooh. it wasn't on the top; it was in mixed Damn. in like a marbling. Um, I did um, uh, mashed potatoes mm-hmm. and um, sugars, carbs. Mm. I didn't have any. Uh, what was your meat? My well, meat. We had a ham. We had oh, okay, a, we okay, had okay, a black okay. forest ham. Yep, yep. A very. Yeah, I mean it. It, it wasn't that it good. Is. It wasn't that good for the price. I mean, it was. No, I, well, I let's talk about. Uh, did you shit your pants after you ate? <laughs> <laughs> I had <laughs> make some. You feel like shit. Yeah, I had bubble guts for a little bit, and then uh, yeah, it was like massive. Uh, I don't want to get you know too descriptive, <laughs> descriptive, but it was like a massive bowel movement where it was just <laughs> a lot. <laughs> well, it's, what people don't know about keto is you know when you're not eating carbs and sugar, the biome in your gut, the gut biome. Um, isn't reactive because it's, it's like dormant. So it's like, there's nothing here to eat. Mm-hmm. And then it's like a freaking jihad oh, on, yeah. on any sugars that you put in your body. And I could tell like in, in my, uh, my joints and my like wrist and my hands and elbows and all knees, achy? it was so sore. Like it was achy for like a little bit in the morning. That's crazy. So, um, I'm sipping on Black Rifle Coffee. No big deal. Uh, I got this uh, Lacroix. It's uh... <laughs> oh, so here's some here's some uh, history on Lacroix. I actually was interested in this because I watched a documentary on chemicals and fragrance fr- fragrances and on fragrant fragrances. And if you ever drink a Lacroix, like if you drink it and you hold your breath, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. So there's no taste because this is it says this is natural pample mousse. Grapefruit flavored sparkling water, no calories, no artificial sweeteners, sodium free. Right. So then I'm like, wait a minute. So if I hold my breath, which means that it's uh, it, you don't taste it, that means it's got to be like a chemical in the scent of it. And then if you go on the back of it, it says, um, uh, where's it at? It says naturally f- essenced or some oh. carbonated water, natural flavor. Oh, it says it on the box. This doesn't say it. It's actually weird it doesn't say that. It, there's one that's sodium-free, natural sweeteners. Huh. This one doesn't say it. There's one that says naturally essenced. 
which basically oh, means they that, like sprayed a little mist on there. Well, that's what scary me. So now I, when I drink it, it's part of my brain's like you're drinking cologne or perfume. Right. <laughs> it's just weird. Some essential oils. But yeah, it's well. What's crazy is uh, I did more research on it, and then come to find out because there was a uh, lawsuit which was unsubstantiated, and it's just actually a false lawsuit. Um, so it got a bad a bad amount of PR. Um, there's no chemicals in it, and it is naturally essence with essential oils from the natural whatever ingredient. Like, yeah. So this one's po- a grapefruit, so it's a grapefruit essential oil that you get Probably that smoke like take from. the rind or something, smash it down, and like excrete that, you know, that, yeah. whatever that flavor is. It doesn't sound appetizing the way you No, it doesn't. <laughs> Excreting anything doesn't sound appetizing. Um, so yeah, Christmas went well for everybody, and then uh, we're back in the studio right now. And you know, I last night, so no shit, there I was. I'm just sitting there, and I had an epiphany. And you know, I've been talking about this go rig because mm-hmm. go ruck or go bag is what we always talked about, um, or what the name of what we talked about in special operations that is a bag full of the essentials that you need. When you blow out, when yep. worst case scenario, when you have to, when shit hits the fan, you grab your go bag and you go. That's why it's called the go bag. So we sell go bags uh, that's loaded, pretty expensive, but it's got medical survival, everything that you need, one one stop shop. And I we just did our first go rigs and coffee. How do you think that went? That first one, I think it went great. I mean, for the uh, the time, the leadway we gave, like on um, we, you know, on our Facebook and Instagram and social media and stuff like that. All, that's the only platforms we had to advertise it. Yep. And the morning of, I looked at the you know who RCP. There was like eight people that RSVP'd, and four of them were us. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a whole bunch of maybes. And then um, we showed up in the morning, and you know we were already set up from the time before, but we showed up in the morning, and just people kept coming and coming. So it was uh, it was a success. I think we had maybe over 50, 40 to 50 people. So I thought it was a good time. Yeah, it was great. I, I, I like the, I mean, number one, Moab Industries was there. Mm-hmm. Scott Brady from Overland Journal. Yeah, Tom, Tom Carr. Tom Carr was there. Um, OC. OC Overland. Yep. Uh, so everybody was there and they supported it and it was a good time. No pressure. Yeah, very uh, nice. Easy. We served Black Rifle Coffee, mm-hmm. freed everybody. I thought it was a good time. That's something that we already said another date, January yeah, January nineteenth. Nineteenth. I, I got it. I'm way check. off. January nineteenth, which is a Saturday, which will start the voyage of what I'm going to get into next. Um, January nineteenth uh, is our next Go Rigs and Coffee. It's here at our headquarters, Philcraft HQ in Prescott, Arizona. Please go to philcraftsurvival.com to get the address. Um, but yeah, no pressure. Come out here. Drink some coffee. I think that time I'm going to give with one of our medics a small 20 minute block of instruction on stop the bleed. Sorry, I'm, this coffee's got me burping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. January 19th from 9 to 12 here in Prescott. That's going to be exciting. Go to the website and all the information's there. You can. Uh, oh, yeah. You got an RSVP yeah, online. Yeah, you can RSVP so, online so or, you know, on uh, Facebook. There's a, should be a. Um, invitation thing just to see so we just have a number of people for everything but it doesn't really matter if you show up you show up you're yeah. more than welcome yeah but please go on seriously yeah for <laughs> um so you know i was having this epiphany about go rigs and one of the dilemmas you know we educate people in survival off-road 
mobility, EDC, everything, right? One of the one of the dilemmas I got is I, I remember overlanding a lot overseas and how um, how easy it seems to say, but it's very difficult to plan. Like you have to logistically, you got to be good at service support. You got to understand uh, loadouts, your fuel consumption, uh, your fuel capacity with different loads, your am- ammunition considerations, how much chow, how much water, all this stuff with the um, an overland movement in combat. And then I thought about pushing the agenda of utilizing your go rig as an extension of your rucksack, meaning an extension of your capability. Mm-hmm. So you got a go bag. Well, if you look at your vehicle as an extension of that, you have a lot of capacity to fill it up with things that you need, medical, survival. Um, but one thing that I'd never thought about until last night in detail, I mean, I've thought about this before, obviously, but it's, it's never been in this much detail, is what happens when shit hits the fan? What happens right now? Let, let's, outside of the electronic, or actually the batteries that are in this um, um, machine that it's, ca- I was just making sure it was on, like, is there batteries in that? <laughs> is it on? <laughs> um, outside of the, the, uh, the podcast, if all the electricity went out right now, what would fucking people do? Like, what, what would you do right now? Electricity's out. What would you be your first move? Oh, I would, you know, obviously go home, uh, go get the wife, a kid, the dog, and I got some stuff that I can pack in the truck and, and will sustain us for at least, you know, three oh, or four this, days. This, I, like, I like this. So you would go home, because that's most people's re- first reaction is yeah. to, to link up with their loved ones, right, mm-hmm. and consolidate. Like your kid's at school, you got to go pick up your kids from yep. school. Your uh, spouse is at a different workplace. You need to go to that workplace and meet up with your spouse because you don't have comms, right? Mm-hmm. Cell towers are down. Electricity is out. You have nothing. ATM machines are down. What's what's next? What do you do next? After you've consolidated, do you sit at home? Do you, like, what do you do? Uh, I was, I don't know. I would, I mean, I guess I would sit at home because I would have a bit, like I, I'm an assessment of coming home. So driving from here to my house. So I drive to drive through, downtown Prescott every day. So I drive through the epicenter of the city. And so I'm able to see like what's going on. Are people panicking or there's, is is there's looting, you know, the security, you know, security's first, I guess, in a situation Ah, like like that. that. So you're looking at, so you're utilizing the, the opportunity to observe when you're transporting yourself or linking up, you're, you're obviously taking an information, which determines your next move, obviously. Yeah. So I know at my house, I can sustain at my house. I have, you know, I have a, a wood burning um, uh, fireplace. I got plenty of wood behind my shed out back. So, I mean, I have heat because right now it's like 30 something degrees outside here in Prescott at night. It gets even colder. So, I know I, I can sustain there. I have, you know, security there. I have food. I have enough water there. So, I mean, I guess I would just camp out and just kind of just watch and see if I can pick anything up on like a radio or anything like that or something, but I wouldn't try to travel right away. Maybe if I would travel, I would travel at night. Okay. Let me ask you this. If you, if you get home, are you bearing arms? Are you getting your guns? Oh yeah. I'll have everything are you ready. Why yeah. would you do that? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I just, I think, cause when you see all these like, uh, things that happen in the world, like natural disasters or any kind of situation, you see a lot of people just lose their minds and just kind of it's every person for themselves. That's how I mean, I look at it. So I think for me, I want to protect what's mine and, um, 
and just take all the safety precautions that I need. Yeah, I think, and this is how I, lay, I did an article on Soft Blog. It's sofblog.com. I did part one of a two-part uh, deal, uh, just talking about the same hypothetical. But I, I, just like you stated, you know, number one is consolidating. Number two is assessing what you have. And I, I think, you know, when you assess what you have, you realize in a short period of time, let's take a hurricane, for example, or a storm. All the resources in stores, grocery stores, retail stores, uh, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, they all get thinner as the storm approaches because we mm-hmm. can predict it. Yep. And so the first thing that we do is everybody waits to the last minute and then goes, oh, crap, there's a storm coming. The hurricane's actually going to hit us. Okay, let's go to the store. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the grocery store in your hometown and water's wiped out. There's no more water left. Uh, you know, beers wiped out. There's no beer left. <laughs> no right? bread. No bread. No Pe- people go to bread and milk. And I think all these staples of people's uh, typical diets. And so, what I'm asking is, what happens the next day when things don't change? Because, you know, historically, when I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, when you have a hurricane, and I've lived through this several times, uh, resources are replenished because you have supply chain management, mm-hmm. right? You have a a Walmart that's gonna has a plan to refill, restock their shelves. And so when the second day comes and the third day comes, it's predictable because they've been through this before. But what happens when the electricity isn't restored? What happens when the cell phone tower doesn't come up? What happens when the ATM machine doesn't dispense any more money? What happens when the grocery store can't accept anything but cash? What do you do? What do you do when the supply chain management that supplies that store can't be can't be resupplied? And what will happen is it's real easy to predict. It's, it actually happens all there's case studies all over the world, Southeast Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Europe. When that happens, men uh, and, and people in general, I just specifically use men, fight for resources. They start getting desperate because what happens when uh, a, a man and a woman have a family of five, and they can't feed their kids. And then they go to the Walmart and they can't take out money to get the cash to be able to buy the the things that they, they need to buy because the banks are closed down. What do they do? Do you starve? Most people don't have enough anything to survive an extended period of time. And I don't even mean extended. I mean like a couple days. Mm-hmm. I mean, even my situation, I, I have mountain house food, dehydrated food. And I understand I have blivets and bladders and storage devices to be able to fill up water and to be able to uh, um, sanitize it. But beyond that, what's next? And a lot of people don't think about what happens the second and the third and the fourth day. And in the consideration of your GoRig platform, you know, when I went on, when I used to go on long range movements in Afghanistan, brutal terrain, the most epic, beautiful terrain you'll ever see in your life. But we rode in Land Rovers that would be, that had a set capacity, right? 15, mm-hmm. 20 gallons of fuel um, divided by your MPG got you your, your movement. Outside of that, we had to depend on CDS bundle drops and planned resupplies from fixed wing or rotary wing aircraft, uh, typically parachuted in uh, CDS. Um, so there was caches. So that's one consideration. Well, last night I was thinking about this. I was like, let's just play hypotheticals here. The hypothetical is I want to survive in my rig. 
long enough to get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, and this is not, don't overplay the scenario here. I'm, I'm just using this for hypotheticals and it's, I want to make it simp for simplicity. The Canadian border for me is the escape route just for the scenario. Don't ask why there is no why it's not that complicated. I chose it because it's an actual definitive border and you could pretend like there's a, I don't know, an atomic threat to everybody in the United States. So, of course, crossing the border in Canada, which is more advantageous than crossing the border in Mexico, um, is probably more advantageous to survival, to living. So what I did was a, c a couple quick things, and I'm, I'm going to ask you your feedback on this. One, it's 1,300 miles to the border of Canada from here, the quickest route, which is typically highways, which would be more than likely the routes that, we, that I take. Um, it's also over... 100 gallons of fuel to accomplish that. And on average, not on average, the estimate is about six pounds per gallon. That's 600 plus gallons. One, hazmat-wise, you can only carry 480 gallons of fuel and five-gallon partitions. And so it made me think, can anybody who has an overland rig or vehicle who hasn't planned for it do anything with that rig when they have it planned for gas. If you have a rig and it's all kitted out and shit hits the fan and it's your go rig, then you have 15 gallons or less, typically speaking, of fuel, hopefully you filled up, until you're done, until that thing is just a lead weight and just sits there. And yeah, you can camp off of it, but you have no power sourcing. You have no advantage living in it. In fact, it's it's probably more than likely going to be... Um, uh, more of a threat because it, now it's looked at by everybody else as a resource. So who, if anybody, can do anything with their rig if they haven't thought about the things like, how are you going to sustain life? How are you going to fuel your vehicle? How are you going to sustain power in that vehicle? Do you have renewable resources? Do you have recovery? Do you have survival? Do you have enough chow and water to live off that rig for an extended period of time? Uh, even just to get to where you need to go. Let's say you live in uh, downtown Phoenix. Well, if you want to avoid a man-made disaster or catastrophe, you probably need to go rural. So say you want to go up to uh, Flagstaff, which is an hour, half, two-hour drive, which requires fuel. Do you have that fuel on store just to make that drive, just mm -hmm. to get to a safer place? What do you, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Because I it blows my mind because I don't think enough thought has been put into it. Yeah, I, I look at it as you know, day to day. I, I don't you know I just you get complacent. I'm not I don't want to be complacent in a bad way, but I think complacent and you know you're you're doing your daily routines every day. You're come going back home, coming you know eating dinner, going to bed, coming getting waking up, going to work, back and forth, back and forth. You get in that grind. You get in that routine. So I think a lot of times I think uh, you kind of just forget about what if something did happen. Am I prepared? Am I ready to go? So I think you know the average uh, person is not prepared to like travel long distances or has that storage of fuel, storage of food. Um, I mean, even cash on hand to buy things. So I think a lot of it is you have to really plan that out. Like that's like a should be a section of your of your house, you know, like, okay, if something goes down, what do I have to take care of? If my house burns down, I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be like a man-made disaster. I mean, your house burns down. What do you do? Do you have a place to go? 
what's your backup plan? What what is your you know your I guess when we talked about your pace, pace plan? plan yeah. yeah, tell people what pace. Just a reminder. So your pace. your pace plan is basically you have your your primary um, your primary plan, which is like your first go. You know, like what like our primary route. Which way are we going to go? And if that route is is blocked, we have an alternate route. So whatever the alternate route is, you know, if you look on Google Maps, you every time you put an address in, it gives you like three different routes. You know, some one's an hour, uh, sh- you know, faster, one's an hour slower, things like that. So you have your alternate route. Then you then you have your your C, which is your uh, contingency route. You know, so both those routes, you have to have like a third plan, and then your the E, your emergency, you know, what do you do in that emergency route? So if all three of those, your pace, your PA and C is uh, gone, what's your emergency? How well did you plan enough to have that fourth option? So It's redundancy, right? It's, I yeah, mean, it's, it's just, all it is, yeah. It's stacking redundancy. And I tell a lot of people in a pace plan is when you're establishing a pace plan, you're not just st- establishing a pace plan for the sake of establishing a pace. Like a lot of people think they go, hey, my primary is going to be going from point A to point B. My alternate, for the sake of saying it, is going to be you know circumnavigating this area and then going this route. My C is kind of this, and then E, it gets more vague and indefinite as you describe it. But the problem is when you describe a contingency, you have to back it up with service support and command and signal. You have to be able to articulate you know the coordination methods, the reconnaissance aspects of verifying if that's a legitimate route or not. And you know you don't beat up redundancy for redundancy's sake. You do it because it it affords an opportunity to flex into an alternate or contingency uh, plan when your initial plan, which typically uh, Murphy likes to take and rip you uh, away from your initial plan, when it goes to hell. And that way you have a quick uh, a quick contingency plan that you could seamlessly transition into where it doesn't affect the overall operation. You could even remain on the same timeline. And so, you know, when I think about these go rig, this go rig concept of taking, here's what I want to do. Here, here's, here's, if you're just tuning into this on Instagram live on my, on my personal page, this is a, a podcast me and um, George are doing on modern survival and go rigs. Here's what I want to do for the sake of the opportunity for learning, Right. I'm going to take the taco, the white truck, and I'm going to put as many as much fuel as I can in that rig that I could legally get away with, which by according to DOT is 480 gallons of fuel. I'm going to put 480 gallons of fuel in that vehicle with a 15-gallon fi- uh, uh, fill-up in the tank that's in it, and I'm going to go as far north as I can go. And here's the rules. I'm going to live in that rig. I'm going to charge all my devices off that rig, which is, which means I'm going to use all renewable resources, uh, i.e. the power off the vehicle, and uh, I'm going to use off-grid Trex um, uh, solar panels. I'm going to only source food and water from my vehicle or from the natural um, environment around me, meaning if I, if I need water and I'm out of water and I hit a creek, and I sanitize my water or drink, use a life straw and drink out of that, that water. That's the only thing I'm allowed to do. I'm going to sleep in that rig, meaning I'm not going to get hotels. And I'm going to see if I could prove the concept of moving from Prescott, Arizona to the border of Canada in just this scenario to see if I could sustain life for an extended period of time. I'm going to, I'm going to document the process. 
Um, th- this is what we do in training, right? In special mm-hmm. operations, we do this in training to vet. You know, I, I, I use the analogy in, uh, in my article on softblog.com about a rucksack. When I grew up in reconnaissance, we, I lived out of my ruck for a minimum of 72 hours, three days, minimum. I carried seven quarts of water per day, seven quarts of water per day, five to seven on average. One quart weighs 2.2 pounds. So for easy math, 40 pounds of my 120-pound ruck was water mm-hmm. until we started evolving and getting smarter and going, wait, why don't we just carry something that you could utilize to fill up water on the fly and then plan our routes accordingly and then save 40 pounds and then have 40 pounds of ammo or 40 pounds of kit, reconnaissance, or communications equipment. Um, but but we, we learned that through trial and error. And, and when you look at a go rig, which I think is the most significant survival uh, piece of equipment in your suite or arsenal of equipment is your vehicle. Because your vehicle, if you're going to fight for resources, is going to transport your ass to the place where you need to get the resource, to the gas station, uh, to the, the fuel tanks, to the grocery store, to be able to replenish yourself in the worst case. And I use the term worst case, but... It's not like it's not realistic. You could lose power right now. We could lose power right now, mm-hmm. and what are you going to do? You lose power. I mean, if terrorists were smart, they wouldn't concentrate it on pointed, direct action on the civilian populace. They would focus on infrastructure. Because I take away your internet. I take away your ability to Netflix and chill. I take away your ability to take AT or money out of an ATM to, to replenish and restock your food supply. I shit in your water and cause a whole bunch of significant issues in just the perception of security in your water, then I'm affecting the populace. Um, so I want to assess this and evaluate uh, true capabilities in a go rig. And then I want to come back and then get with the companies that are in our wheelhouse mm-hmm. that look at renewable resource, resourceable um, um, energy. I, I want to go, hey, who, who has a rain collection device? Because if I have a rain collection device on my vehicle, then anywhere it rains, I'm replenished with water. I don't have to look for streams. All I got to do is look for rainfall. And then I could, I could sanitize it and then replenish it. Solar panel, renewable energy. Yep. Uh, the biggest dilemma I have is fuel. Remember when we were in Libya and the gas stations, like there was a big oil crisis. And then there was like the gas station. It had luckily we used like state. Didn't we use State Department gas stations or something? Uh, no, we actually had to go on the. Um, no, that's right. They would take the f- trucks for us and fill them up. That's right. They they used local nationals yep. that ran them to gas stations. Yep, and that's what they did. And you're talking about like a Chevy Suburban. Yeah, that's up armor that weighs like <laughs> ten times more than it should, and they filled it up. But they had the grass the the uh, gas crisis there, and I remember it was difficult for us to operate. We sat in line. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, it was like for a certain amount of time, there was something going on where the um, oil production or one of the things kind of shut down, one of the refineries. So we had to like, we had to wait for, or we had to like, I forget whatever it was. I, there was a there was a long wait at one time. It took us like a couple of days to get our trucks filled up because of the wait and getting uh, the local nationals to get that fuel for wait, us. Imagine, uh, imagine this. And, and I, we talk about like, in um, part one of that soft blog, of that blog, I just talked about the hypothetical, which is, say the electricity goes out. Well, let's just say right now that the gas 
and oil doesn't come anymore. Like literally the majority of our gas and oil, and I forget the statistic, I have to look it up, but the statistic is somewhere like 70, 80, 90% of our gas and oil comes from overseas, specifically the Middle East. So when people talk about renewable, sustainable energy, um, and then we look at the Alaska pipeline, there's a, which has heavy criticism because of the uh, environmental factor. Um, you're, you have to ask yourself, what would you do if the oil and gas stop coming into America? That powers the electric grid. That powers all of our vehicles. That supplies the backup alternative and generators to our backup power supplies. You, we would be shit out of luck in a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, we'd have to get on them bikes, start uh, start pedaling. Well, yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> or I, something, walking. Th- that kind of shit keeps me up at night, man. I actually stayed up all... Which is weird. <laughs> I just... I, I was up all night trying to figure out the solution to this because most people can't... I, I talked a little bit about... Uh, with a Marine buddy of mine this morning about it. You know, not everybody can afford to live off the grid. Like you you say live off the grid and it's almost like you're saying it like it's a it's an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very difficult yeah, thing to do. And it's like I think the initial startup is it's expensive. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. You have to get, you know, solar panels aren't cheap. Solar panels. Uh water tanks aren't cheap. Then if you even if you collect the water rainwater, which you're probably not gonna have that much water, uh you're gonna have to pay for water to get shipped in to put in those tanks. Uh, you know, so it's just if you're living truly living off grid, it's gonna it's a it's a lot of hard work. It absolutely is. Hey, no problem getting up here with a podcast. Also, Austin, look up that statistic. You said we are no longer dependent on Middle East oil. USA is producing more domestically now than ever. Austin, I want you to look that up or somebody else. Steve, uh, since you're an employee of Phil Krause Survival, <laughs> why don't you look that up? I want to know the actual stats because you know we could hypo- hypothetically talk about uh, what we think is true, but, but I, don't, I don't think that's true. I, don't, I think we're dependent on Middle Eastern oil. Haven't spent a lot of time in the Middle East, which I know the oil control that Saudi Arabia has determines the cost of oil and gas at a high level. Um, and that's just my short experience of being in Saudi Arabia, being in the Middle East. But let me know the statistic if you guys find out. Um, wind power, uh, water collection, solar panels, that renewable, uh, like Ronan's talking about, renewable uh, energy is sustaining survival. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about survival, you can't, I don't even want to, I don't ever want to be somebody who briefs, but never executes Mm -hmm. that talks the talk, but doesn't live, um, everything that we're putting out there. And just these considerations make me anxious for the world, specifically the United States and make me realize how ill-prepared we are, mm-hmm. even as prepared people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you, like, we, I know you just got here to, to Prescott with the family and you had, had the kid. Do you have a store of food and water besides what you got in your cabin? No, not at all. Yeah. We, we have to step up our game, man. And I think, that, you know, some people look at the survival is uncomfortable. Like living, like if we have to, like, someone has to go out, if we have to leave, you know, for a natural disaster... 
people have to get in their mind like that mindset is sur- surviving off your rig or anything is going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to be comfortable yeah. driving to the Canadian border. You're not going to be comfortable having to stop and camp out at night like when you're not used to camping out at night. Uh, when we did the uh, southern border run and we, I mean, we were gone for four days, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm used to it. I don't care how, I'll be uncomfortable. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. But it was uncomfortable. Like living out of a rig is uncomfortable. Like it you're is. You're going through bags and, yeah. you know, if you don't have your, your stuff like tied down and situated and okay, this is, this bag is for this, this bag is for that. My, this bag, this section of my, of my truck, I'm going to have this in there or whatever. If I don't have like a. I got lucky because there was a, I had a, like a snowmaster fridge on the back. So I was able to keep things cold and preserve those things. Like if I had to like have meat or whatever, you know, I could freeze that stuff, but it's just for that regular person who doesn't have that. I mean, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to plan that out, which is, you know, it's, it takes time. It takes effort. You know, you're going to have to want to survive. I, you know, it's, it's, when we talk about uh, the go rig, for example, and, and you, the, you mentioned discomfort, I like to be comfortable. I mean, I we spent decades being uncomfortable. I mean, the, my first deployment, um, it was my first deployment, but my first deployment was Special Operations Command, uh, which is a high high unit, like a, a high, um, a very well-funded operational unit. We were living in, on cots and, and GP mediums, and this is late war. And so when I look at, um, when I look at the... Uh, uh, being uncomfortable, I know what it feels like, and I don't want to be that way no. now. But I even look at these the way that we build the rigs out. Uh, what I'm fascinated by is the way that we took South Africans and Australians who are really, I mean, you can't deny the fact that the Australian military and the British military and the um, uh, and their operations in Northern Africa, they know overlanding. They know how to survive for an extended amount of time. When I lived off of a Land Rover in Afghanistan, I slept underneath the vehicle. And then part of me was always like, why would anybody sleep underneath a vehicle? Why don't you just sleep on top of the vehicle and have a tent and all this cool, sexy stuff? Mm -hmm. But you realize if things aren't optimal, if you're not not on a sunny freaking great day, what's up Overland, Arizona? If you're not a a badass, um, a perfect day here in Prescott, Arizona, you're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the first time I camped on with my uh, front runner tent, I was in uh, Yellowstone National Forest, and it was freezing balls cold. And I, I, I was thinking, I was like, dude, this is like the coldest I've been in a very long time, and this sucks. And then I started realizing the more shit that I piled on top of my rig, the more incapable it became as an actual overlanding rig. And so there is a... a um, a, a practical methodology and less is more and lighter is better. Uh, the, the Brits, the Australians, um, the South Africans, they use a lot of aluminum. We like steel because we like oh, it yeah. robust and big, bigger is better. And, and, you know, it's, what's the saying in Texas? Uh, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's better. It's bigger in Texas or some shit yeah. like that. It's like people think that that's advantageous, but it's not. I mean, I I am now streamlining my go rig to get everything lighter. Going to a, a, a that's why I'm looking at this vagabond setup because it's aluminum, mm-hmm. it's lightweight, but you could live confined in it and actually insulate it to where you could live inside of it. That's sustaining. That's not. I'm not talking about the weekend camper. Camping in a national forest is one thing. I like that, 
But if I'm camping in a national forest in a rig that I built, I want that bitch to be set up to where I could live for a year in it. Yeah. And so, you know, how I, you know, how I build that out needs to be sustainable over the long, uh, long haul because we're preparing for the worst case scenario. This isn't like, I mean, to each their own, you know, I, I'm, they call me mall crawler, um, to each their own, but I'm trying to build something that could, uh, withstand. Um, now, you know, I'll be a mall crawler. I don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, but I'm preparing myself. I'm, I'm making it my own, you know, I'm how I'll survive. I can't go off, you know, granted everyone has, you know, their experiences, everybody has this equipment, that equipment, but I got to do what, what works for me. And I'm, you know, doesn't really matter what I have in my rig as long as I can sustain myself. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of rig I have. It doesn't matter if I have big tires or the, uh, the, the, the tent on the roof because it looks cool. But, I mean, which was pretty fun. I mean, it was a kind of a game changer. I never got to do the rooftop tent. But, you know. Yeah. But you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need it, you know. Yeah. and it, It's I actually more advantageous <laughs> to, to, to ground camp. Um, because you could stay mo- more mobile instead of glued to your vehicle. Exactly. Like even if you're hunting, like I like, like I was just glassing recently and I was like parking the vehicle, hiding in the vehicle and then walking away from it using it as a base camp of operations. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, you know, not being glued to my vehicle was important for me, especially in the, just in recreational activity. Um, but also the fact that, you know, when you take a tent and you make it really comfortable, uh, Americans tend to make it really big. And then next thing you know, you got 500 pounds on top of your roof, which is an exaggeration, but it's just, it's cumbersome. Mm-hmm. And Toyotas aren't the best vehicles uh, when it comes to uh, weight distribution and, you know, departure angles and being top heavy. You just don't want to set yourself up like this. I, I just read a statistic in, um, on, the, on, the, uh, um, on the news feed that Steve sent us, and it says that domestic oil production is at a 24-year high high while foreign oil imports at a 17 year old low. So obviously, and this is an older article, but it says 35% of a petroleum uh, is imported, which, you know, who knows if that's changing. This is updated five years ago. Thanks for that old. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. You, you crushed it again. Rock. You crushed it. You're, you're awesome. Um, but 35% is the last uh, um, uh, uh, information that we have. But when you look at re- renewable resources, the answer is wind and solar. But who the fuck uses either one of them? Exactly. Like, I mean, am I going to set up a windmill on top of my, you know, my house or on my property? I know we know a lot of people in the industry. How many people do you know that use solar and wind? Oh, that's Pearl. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not a lot of people. Um, one guy is saying, "Hey, use diesel." You know, diesel is the same. I mean, where there's diesels, there's gas. Do you remember that show that was on Discovery Channel? It was like probably almost 10 years, eight to 10 years ago, where they took a group of people and each of them had their own set of skills. And one, I think the the first one was uh, in LA. They kind of, uh, they had an abandoned warehouse in LA. They threw them in this abandoned warehouse and they had to survive for a period of time. It was like a reality TV show. I do remember that, man. And there was a guy on there... um, that I think, you know, they set up the scenarios to where they can, whatever the supply is, they can use it. Like that one guy was a, uh, they took and they made a water filtration with sand and coal and all this stuff. But there was one uh, episode where they found this rotting like meat, like a pig. There was a pig in there and they took the fat from the pig and made fuel out of it. And it was this old man that he did it back in the day on his farm and 
you know, things like that is like those, you know, you talk about survival. I mean, you talk about, I know how to make render gasoline or kind of some kind of, you know, fuel from, you know, lard, pig fat, pig fat you know, and they were running their generator with it and when they needed it. And it was just like, I never knew that. I mean, it blew my mind. I could take a pig, it's fat, render it down somehow and then use it as like a, a fuel source. How many people know how to do that? Yeah, it's those, it's that legacy survival you know, information that we that I'm I'm fascinated with by it too, and I, I think a lot of us uh, in the space love that information, but it's such few uh, people in the world now who know that information and who actually live it. Mm-hmm. There's so many people out there who are like armchair quarterbacks, right? They say. Hey, I spent a couple of years in special forces, so I'm an expert in survival. It's like I was in special forces, and that doesn't make you a specialist <laughs> in anything survival. So, what it does is it gives you a broader experience, but you have to live that shit. Mm-hmm. Like bushcraft experts, like I, I'm not a bushcraft expert. I take my dad for example. I mean, he can go and just you drop him in the woods. That's it. He's a bush. You give him a, a rifle, a knife. Yeah. I mean, we you know back home, and I'm from Ohio, and. uh my dad, he's you know he's a he's just a good old country boy. That's all. And he would teach. He showed me how to do you know like catching snapping turtles. You go out, run the line. You make yep. a little like uh, your bait, and you get like pantyhose with the and put the bait in there and throw it in the water. And next couple of days, you go back and then you pull it up, and there's a big snapping turtle on the end of it. You Ooh, know, I, I got your dad's kit right here. So if you guys don't <laughs> don't realize it, uh, on PhilCraftSurvival.com, George's dad um, makes our bushcraft kit and. You know, he George came to me and said he showed it to me, and I thought it was really cool for you guys on Instagram. This is it right here, but it's leather. It's like real soft leather, um, and he actually uses it so you could attach it to a belt. Yeah, anything you got. I think it's really awesome, man. I, I think it's really cool because um, the bushcraft is the basic foundation for survival. Mm-hmm. And it, what I tell people is. They go, oh, yeah, bushcraft. I, I'll never n- need to know how to rub sticks together and make a fire. I was like, until your lighter doesn't work. Yep. Then what are you going to do? Like, if your lighter doesn't work, what are you going to do? You got matches? No. Then you need to know how to make start a fire uh, through rudimentary. Uh, I like that word, rudimentary <laughs> uh, means. I like and, and bushcraft is a uh, base for it. And what I like about this kit is I actually I've renamed it on the website as a uh, a fishing slash bushcraft kit because it it absolutely has stuff like snares, um, which having using used snares in survival school and and CRC and I think I even used it in peacetime detention when we were on our little RTO where they um, make you run around in the woods for a, a mm-hmm. little bit and I've never seen anybody catch shit, but that's because the guys they had teaching us never caught never, shit. Yeah. So when you when you talk to somebody who's a expert in in snare trapping, you mm-hmm. know this country, believe it or not, was built on the fur trade. Yep. I mean, if during the pioneering days, we evolved, and the first businesses to become million dollar businesses were was the fur trade businesses. Um, that's that's like a skill that nobody teaches anymore. Mm-mm. I'm super like, interested. My dad still does trapping, like beaver. Does he? Yeah. He goes out with his buddies. Shut stuff, up, so. man. Pelts, getting pelts I'll tell you, and beaver pelt is so soft. It's amazing. It's, it's so versatile, so soft, too. Yeah. It keeps it's, you it's warm. Waterproof. It's waterproof. It's like, it's the first Gore-Tex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like my Solomon uh, beaver shoes. So these, even these uh, these jigs right here, I mean, he he handmade all of these. Like, he handmade even these? Uh, all of them, yeah. 
So he George's dad handmade these. If you don't, and he handmade the bag. And what's everything. the co- What's the cost on this? Thirty five bucks, right? Yeah, I think thirty five forty. I think we have. I think yeah, it's yeah. thirty. It's thirty five bucks. Yep, thirty five ninety five, and it comes with fishing lures, fishing line, handmade Hooks. everything. Hooks. I actually have my own personal kit that I carry in my vehicle. And then we added uh, a little fire starter kit to he, it. He handmade all these, man. Um, and then we added the fire starter kit. We did the flint rod um, with the uh, scraper. Yep. Uh, that we put in there. Oh, I'm also adding um, the wood. I forget that it's like a it's a type of pine. Remember we bought it. There's little sticks. Oh yeah, it's uh, uh, uh it's flint. It's tinder. Yeah, tinder, but it's like a, but it's, it's, it's sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could scrape it all. You could scrape it down. Yep. Um, we'll be adding that to it as well. Anyways, like I'm super interested in this stuff because I think. A lot, even myself, I feel guilty for, right? Like I, I live survival, but how many times have I gone and left my go bag? I mean, how many times have I left, not had my everyday mobility go bag set up? How many times have I left town and gone, where the hell is my recovery kit? Yeah. And so, you know, in this little trip that I'm taking from here uh, to Canada, I, it's going to be a suck fest because I'm not going to be able to use any, I even thought about a rule. As one of the rules that I'm going to outline in part two of the uh, blog, as I can't shit in any building, like I, you can't use a ba- the bathroom in a, in a toilet mm-hmm. because that's infrastructure. The infrastructure might or might not be there. So where are you going to shit? You know, poop on the side of the road. Yeah. You better figure it out. You better dig a hole. Dig a hole. Where are you going to sleep at? You going to sleep in a parking lot off the side of the road? You better figure it out. Yeah. Um, I think the the biggest challenge is the gas. Um. And I was talking to Addison last night, trying to figure it out. I'm like, where the where the hell am I going to put a hundred gallons of gas? Yeah, I mean, because you, yeah, I mean, are you going to take a? Are you going to? Are you allowed to take a trailer? Nope. No one of the guys asked me. He said, "Hey, <clears throat> why don't you take a trailer?" I'm like, "I don't want to take a trailer. I'm not going to take a trailer of gasoline." Um, because I want it to be in something I daily drive. So how many? Okay. So how many gallons? You say four hundred something. Hundred. I need. I need a hundred gallons. Hundred gallons. And how? And you're allowed to have how many? What's the rule? So uh, the rule is four hundred and eighty pounds. Oh, okay. So, so what is? I don't know. Do the quick math. What's four hundred and eighty um, divided by thirteen? You get 13 miles a gallon? Yeah, 13 miles a gallon. So 480 gallons divided by 13. That's 36.92. So 36... Uh, what did I just do? What math did so, I just do? Uh, 480 pounds divided by 13 was the... Uh, I don't know. Come on, man. No, it was 36. Yeah, but what is 36? 36? That's... Um, I think that's how many gallons you need. Maybe? No, 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 no. So I need the, the limits for. Oh yeah, that's right. The limits four hundred and eighty pounds. Okay. So dividing it by Wait, uh, how many, uh, thirteen, I would need. That's how many gallons that is. Yeah. So thirty-seven gallons. Thirty-seven gallons. Uh, that's, where are you going to put thirty-seven gallons of fuel? Well, thirty-seven gallons isn't a lot. Oh no, you're right. It's not because you can get ten. Well, you said you can only. So I can only carry thirty-seven gallons of fuel. That's it. Four hundred eighty pounds. That's it. I mean, you probably get away. Is that right? Like Five hundred pounds. I mean, wait, no, no, no. What's what's take the four eighty? My mass all fucked up, dude. I'm all fucked up. What's so take four eighty? Uh huh. And which is the max amount of pounds? And how many divided by six? It? That gives you how many gallons that is? Eighty. 
so I can carry 80 gallons. Okay. So if you go on like a Northern Tool or um, uh, you know any of these Home Home Depot, they they sell a hundred gallon tanks that go in the back of pickup trucks. Yeah, they, yeah. That's what I'm gonna buy. Okay. Because it, they have the version that you can have with a, a gas tank. Because here's here's my thinking. If you want to truly be prepared, you need to have the ability to store it at the house or in the truck. And you got to be able to have a way of, out, you know, what's the the uh, shelf life of gas? That's what I, I don't know. That what's the what's the shelf life of gas? Does anybody know the shelf life of gas? Uh, speaking on the Instagram, before feed? you have to like add any of those uh, stable or you know, yeah, the additive to it, just or to make or, it or just recycling the same thing. So if you're if you're like a guy in in you know the you're recycling it every month, you say hey, I'm going to fill this gap this tank up, but I'm going to use this tank as part of my fuel source. Then you're constantly replenishing. Like I take my rota packs and I'll I'll put the rota pack in or on a trip and then refill it every mm-hmm. single trip that I do. So that that's something that you have to pay attention to. So when I think about this hundred gallon uh, tank, I can't carry a hundred gallons. You're only allowed to carry four hundred eighty pounds, mm-hmm. and I can't even carry it in a hundred gallon tank. I have to actually partition it. I think in five gallon tanks is what somebody messaged me this morning. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'll figure it out. But the reality is there, there's a lot of thoughts that need to go into this when you think about uh, replenishing and refueling yourself to get the, the hell out of a, a catastrophe. Look, and here's, here's what I want to do. Like, the, the way to think about this is, you know, some people are like, oh, Mike, you're fucking crazy. Like, this, this shit would never happen. I'm like, come on, man. Okay, take, I mean, you said it's never going to happen, but I mean, look at the wildfires. They just, you have to go. The, a wildfire is a great example, right? You have somewhere, you have the Northern California campfire. Earthquake in, uh, up in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. Uh, it, well, the, the campfire cost, I think the death counts up to 88 mm-hmm. people. There's still a couple hundred people unaccounted for. It burned, it's the largest, uh, it's the most destructive fire in uh, history in California. Um, it, it affected a lot of people's lives and it happened in a split second. Now, can you imagine if you take that population? It's it's in a densely populated region, meaning San Francisco Bay Area is there, Northern California, Sacramento, the capital is there. But imagine if that took place in San Francisco, you know, a, a big urban fire, and it displaced that many people who effectively are fighting for the same resources. Even exfilling, getting out of that area. There's only a couple of highways you can get out of San Francisco. San Francisco Bay Area has 7 million fucking people. So we're not talking about a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. We're talking 7 million people. Now, imagine you're in San Francisco and you're, you're thinking about this. Let's just say, because we're due for one, an earthquake. The largest earthquake in history hits and we're due for it in San Francisco. Where are you going to go? Well, if you, if, you, if you do any analysis on this and you go, like my buddy Will, his family, his closest relatives, I mean, he's got friends all over the place. He can come to me. But his clo- closest relatives and his ranch and his, uh, his farm, his family farm, is in Georgia. Yeah. Do you have enough fuel to get across, uh, to, to get you out of the area, to get somewhere where you can use fuel? If you don't, you have to consider that. I mean, or, or if you don't, do you have the means to exfil your entire family? Oh, Mike, I got a bike. I'll just jump on my bike. What about your kids, bro? What about your wife? Mm-hmm. What about your dog? 
How are you going to get your ass out of San Francisco if an earthquake hit? And so for everybody who's listening to this, it's basic It's basic course of action development, which is why I love it. I mean, my brain goes crazy thinking about this, but it's wargaming. What do you do in your current situation to get out of the shitty place that you're in when shit hits the fan? Indonesia, they just got hit with a 16-foot tsunami wave from a volcano. That was triggered by a volcano. And it seems like that place is getting hit all the time. It doesn't pay to be Indonesian Indonesian, um, in in the the, uh, recent history. Um, but any of these disasters can happen overnight and, you know, not even talking about or conspiracy, conspiracizing about, uh, counter terror or terrorism, um, you know, inf- attacking infrastructure, attacking, attacking the internet, uh, it, the list goes on, man, just something to pay attention to. I'm, I'm excited to do this, this, this run from Prescott because one, it's going to, it's going to enhance my preparedness and the people who listen to us, but I really want to know. Can I make it to the Canadian border self-sustained with no support? Can I keep what I have? Like one of the rules is I have to navigate via paper. Dude, I, when's the last time that I've navigated on a, on a fucking map? Yeah. Selection. You buy an atlas. Yeah, I got to buy a fucking atlas and a compass and figure out how to nav my ass on a highway. How do you keep a pace count? Well, you better figure out how to you know, map the odometer to read back what you're doing and track your route. How do you establish gates? Well, you need to know that like, hey, in 100 miles, I'm going to hit a bridge. If I don't hit that bridge, I need to recalculate and redetermine where I'm going. So all these things are going to extract a lot of good information, and I'm looking forward to it. You don't realize it, but you're going to. Okay. Maybe. See. <laughs> you don't have to go, man. Whatever. You, a lot of beef you, you, you well, I mean, I'll someone make, has to stay back here and run the company. You, you run everything, man. I got to run the company. I, I got to make sure Addison is, you know, on track, filling orders. Addison doesn't fucking have a job, man. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> I hope Addison doesn't listen to this. He's just He just hangs out, man. We pay Addison to hang out. Oh, man. All right, so Modern Survival Go Rigs, short podcast, which is a 53-minute podcast. That's not really short. No. It is what it is. Here, here's one thing. I mean, if we if anyone takes anything away from this podcast in particular, you know, we talk about go rigs. Not everyone's set up for a go rig, but you're whatever you do. I mean, look at yourself and ask yourself: Do I even have a band aid in my car? Yeah. I mean, a simple first aid kit. Do I have that? Let, let's start off with my my go. Let me just real quickly. This is real quick. Also, when I was stationed in Germany, it was a law that you had to have a first aid kit. And the uh, triangles in your car. If not, you had a fine. It was like, dude, remind it was crazy. me. I've seen the sign before. Remind me. There's a there's a picture of that sign. Let's post that on Philcraft. Uh, there's a picture of the sign in Germany where you have to have a first aid kit oh, in your yeah. car. It's a requirement. Yep. Which is a good uh, look. If 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 I told you that uh, the fourth leading cause of death in America was vehicle accidents or accidents period vehicle accidents being a large portion of those like 9 million worldwide per year you would pay attention to that but most people don't look at statistics they just don't mm. give a shit because they're like I'm not that's, an accident that's not going to happen to me that's not going to happen to me until it fucking does yeah and so um, you were actually excited because we're about to drive and go talk uh, to a, a sister company to uh, develop some things that are going to help in the go rigs uh, equipment wise but I have right here is my Patagonia Stealth Adam and I've run f- several of these Stealth Atom bags, um, but I have our BHRK kit in this this bag, our, our Stop the Bleed kit. It's like, dude, it it's how much is our BHRK kit? Uh, like 
hundreds. No, no, no. no. That's the VTRK. Oh, the BHRK. Oh, it's, the like, it's like it's like thirty thirty something dollars, forty bucks. It's like forty bucks. Yeah. So it's like have at a minimum the enough equipment to save your ass, so you could save your family's ass. Yeah. And then beyond that, have enough equipment to treat everybody in your family. It's not hard. I remember when I first started dating Sarah, my first thing I gave her for her car was a little like kit, like a med kit with tourniquets, the big bleeder stop, you know, the the, the gauze. I yeah, mean, you know everything. why you did that? Because you care. Yeah. When you when you care about loved ones, you buy them Philcraft Survival Kit. Yeah. I had swag. the whole kit. I mean, it had everything. <laughs> it was, it was a fucking great. Joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> All right, guys, so that's it for the podcast. Hey, uh, I just wanted to give a big shout-out to Black Rifle Coffee Company for supporting uh, the podcast. Big shout-out to Evan, the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. If you guys are interested, Philcraft 2.0 will save you 20% at Black Rifle Coffee. Also, big shout-out to Boss Strongbox. You know, this podcast is sponsored by a lot of companies, but uh, Boss Strongbox has been a partner since day one. If you guys are into uh, uh, anything... Uh, storage-wise for your vehicles. They have federal government contracts, but they also cater to civilians. If you're interested in storing that equipment, please check out BossStrongBox.com. Uh, and what, what's the coupon code for uh, BossStrongBox? It's a 25% coupon code. Uh, look at my uh, email It's coming. Daint, daint. Oh my god. Okay, here we go. What? You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what, what, what's okay? So, for with, with Boss Strongbox, save 25% off of Boss Strongbox, which is actually our biggest uh, coupon code. Also, if you guys uh, follow Alpha Elite Performance, Alpha Elite Performance is veteran owned, special operations veteran owned. You can get uh, 15% off using Fieldcraft 15. They have everything from workout supplements to protein. Uh, it's owned by a buddy of mine who's a special forces veteran, reti- medically retired, who lives in uh, California. Uh, big shout out to Alpha Elite Performance. Did we find that? Oh, uh, yeah. It's uh, 25% <laughs> off. The promo code is just uh, Fieldcraft. Fieldcraft, that's it. I, I expected a two five. I know. Fieldcraft. Boss Strongbox. Fieldcraft save twenty five percent. Hey, thanks guys. I appreciate everything you guys do for the company. Fieldcraftsurvival.com. You guys can check out our YouTube channel. We just grew a thousand YouTube followers last week alone. We did. It's um, amazing. But it hasn't affected the views on videos. But um, okay. anyways, YouTube channel is the Fieldcraft Survival channel. Also, the last podcast that we did, which I did with my uh, earbuds in. Um, I did on a walk, just a random walk, and it, we had the third uh, top-rated podcast out of all the podcasts, every single one of them, in government or, and organizations, and that put us in the fourth spot. Your podcast was the best podcast out of all the podcasts. <laughs> I feel like that was very conceited. <laughs> My podcast was the best podcast ever. Hey, I appreciate everybody. Thank you to everybody on Instagram tuning in. We love you guys. Thanks for all the support. Until next time. Oh, I'll say it. Stay alert. Stay alive, guys.